We are in a great story. We're in a great story of Ruth. Uh, this is chapter three we're going to be in this week. Uh, if you remember anything about the story of Ruth, Ruth starts off with a story of loss. It's a story of loss. It's a story of love. It's a story of loyalty. And we see loss first because this Jewish family goes away from Israel in a time of famine. They go down to a foreign land called Moab. The woman's, the mother's husband, Elimelech, he dies. Her two sons marry these Moabite women. Uh, the two sons, Malan and Kilian, both die. And there is Naomi, poor and destitute and widowed and childless, living in a foreign land of Moab. Pretty desperate times, pretty destitute. In fact, she, uh, she said when she came back to Israel, she said, don't call me Naomi because Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me Mara because Mara means bitter and her life had become bitter. So by the time that Naomi had returned to Israel, uh, her fullness had turned to emptiness. Her, her joy and her pleasant spirit had turned to bitterness. And the one bright light in Naomi's life was that in the land of Moab, she came to know her daughter-in-law, who was foreign-born, who did not uh, come into God's family naturally, being a daughter of Israel, uh, one of the daughters of the 12 tribes. She came into God's family by way of adoption. She came into God's family by way of marriage to a Jewish man named Kilian, whose mother was Naomi. So now Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And Naomi's getting ready to go back to Israel, back home. Uh, and Ruth says to her, I want to go with you. And Naomi says, look, there's no place for you there. You're, you're a Moabitess. You're going to be a foreign-born woman. You don't know Israel, but they don't like you people. And you're not going to be welcome there. And Ruth says to her, I don't care because, Naomi, I've come to know the one true God through you and through your life. And I want to stick with you. And whatever God has for me in my future, it's going to be with you, Naomi. It's not going to be by myself or with my Moabite culture. So Ruth and Naomi, they leave Moab. They get back to Israel. They get back to the town of Bethlehem. Yes, that's right. That's the same city where King David was born. That's also the same city where the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born about 1,200 years after this story takes place. So now they're back in Bethlehem. They're still poor. They're still both widows. They're destitute. And it is the time of the harvest season, and, they, and there's a law. There's a law for the poor people, and the poor people can go and glean the harvest. After the harvest goes through the harvest field, the poor people and the aliens and the widows, they can follow along and they can pick up the gleanings and they can be provided for in that way. So yeah, in God's law, he had a welfare system set up to, tell, to take care of the poor in society. And so that's what they did. And so not only was Ruth blessed because she was able to follow the harvesters, she was blessed because she met a man. She met a man who happened to own the whole field. And his name was Boaz. And he saw her and he said, who is that woman? And he found out she was Ruth, that she was foreign born, but she had a good reputation in the society already. She was a hard worker. She was very loyal and faithful to her mother-in-law. And Boaz came up and he blessed her and he said he would provide for her. And so Ruth was able for the entire harvest season, first the barley season and then the wheat 
uh, harvest, uh, Ruth was able to stay behind the harvesters in Boaz's fields, and she was able to follow along and be provided for in that way. And that's when we come up to the end of chapter 2, because Ruth returns after that first wonderful day of harvest, an unexpected blessing meeting Boaz. Of course, Naomi's waiting uh, to find out what the news is, and she says, what is it? And Ruth replied, the man that I worked with today, his name is Boaz. And so uh, Boaz, uh, of course, he's a man, he's got a high reputation, he's a man of high standing in the community. He was a close relative of Naomi's, of Ruth's mother-in-law. He was a relative of hers on the, on the husband's side. And that allows him to be what we come to this term that's in, the, that's in the book of Ruth today, a very key term in the book of Ruth, and what we call a kinsman redeemer. Now, kinsman, if you're in Scotland about 400 years ago, kinsman was a great word. Kinsman means you're kin, you're of the same kind, you're in the same family, you're of the same blood. And so a kinsman would be a close blood relative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the word kinsman just for a moment and I'm going to replace it with family, close family redeemer, because that makes sense to us in 2018 in California. So... Boaz, according to Naomi, Boaz is a close relative and he is a potential family redeemer. So uh, Naomi says to Ruth, hey Ruth, keep going back to Boaz's fields because this guy could be a family redeemer. And he's obviously shown you a lot of grace and favor. I think he likes you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and let's see what happens in the future. And so about two months go by. There's this combination of barley harvesting and wheat harvesting, and I'm sure that the women with whom that Ruth was, was harvesting with, they were watching her, they were sizing her up, they were seeing what her character was like, and she proved gold to them. She had, they had nothing but good things to say about Ruth and her character. So as you see in the scripture, she lived with her mother-in-law during the whole time of the barley and the wheat harvest. Now... Now we come to the key to the key move of the story, right? First, the first was first was the meet cute last week, where Boaz meets Ruth, and Boaz blesses Ruth, and Ruth finds unmerited favor with him, who's a potential family re redeemer. Now we're going to see Naomi get involved, and she and the wheels of strategy are starting to turn in her head. How can we make this thing work out between Ruth? And with my relative, my close relative on my husband's side, this man's name is Boaz. So Naomi, she's encouraged by Boaz's kindness to Ruth, right? So she's going to take the initiative. I think that Boaz, or I think that, excuse me, Naomi, this woman, the mother-in-law, she was watching Boaz the whole time. Every time Boaz was around Ruth, Naomi had her eyes on Boaz, and she was checking out Boaz to see what Boaz's attitude was toward Ruth. Would Boaz make a move uh, of, of, uh, mar of marriage proposal toward her daughter-in-law, Ruth? By all appearances, uh, Boaz was really kind. He was polite. He was nice. He was blessing her. But lately, Boaz wasn't even talking to Ruth. He was not actively pursuing her. You remember, Ruth was a, a young woman. She was a marriageable age. And Boaz, we believe, was probably a middle-aged man, never married, right? Never married. I don't know if he ever proposed married, marriage to somebody, got turned down. But he was a single man at this time. So Boaz is probably not used to the whole courtship thing. Maybe he was pretty awkward at it. Maybe he didn't know how to pursue it at all. But Naomi could see that he was interested 
It's just that the problem was two months had passed by and Boaz still hadn't initiated anything. He hadn't made a move. One of my favorite holiday movies, one of my favorite Christmas movies, is after Thanksgiving, we go immediately into the Christmas season. Uh, it's a movie that our family watches every year, right around just after Thanksgiving. And it's a movie with Bean Crosby and Danny Kaye. It's called White Christmas. Do you guys know that movie? Great movie. Great movie, right? Some great lines in that movie. One of the lines in the movie is that Danny Kaye, who is Phil Davis, and this other woman, Vera Ellen, she's a wonderful dancer, awesome dancer. She couldn't sing. They actually dubbed her voice in, somebody else's voice in when she sang the songs. The other singer was Rosemary Clooney, and she was awesome. So you got Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen. Vera could dance, but she couldn't sing. But uh, Vera was the sister. She was Judy Haynes, and Rosemary Clooney was Betty Haynes. And Judy and Phil Davis, who's Danny Kaye, those two were trying to be the matchmakers, trying to get Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney together, right? So they're trying to, to be matchmakers for them. And there's a scene where they get off the train that went from Florida to Vermont, because they're, they're going to play these shows up in Vermont, expecting all this snow, 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 snow. And there was no snow in Vermont at the time. And they get off the train, and there's this wonderful scene where they're trying to figure out how to link uh, Bing Crosby and Betty Haynes together. Just see the scene real quick. And I got a flash for you. Right. She's a real slow mover. Honey, I got a flash right back for you. She's in there with the champ. If you know that scene, Judy Haynes is telling Phil Davis, she says, uh, about her sister. She says, I got a news flash for you. She's a real slow mover. And Phil Davis, he comes back to her and says, I got a flash right back at you. She's in there with the champ. Right? So he is an extremely slow mover. I thought of being Crosby being a real slow mover, and I thought of Boaz in this situation. I thought, Boaz, you've you, you got this wonderful opportunity in front of you, but you're not making a move. You're not initiating. So what does Naomi, the mother-in-law, do? Well, she gets on her thinking cap, and she says, well, there is a way that we can move this thing along. So Naomi takes the initiative. Look what it says in Ruth chapter 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it is time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young ones. So uh, he's, he's letting, uh, she's let, Boaz is letting Ruth uh, harvest with the young women. So then Naomi goes on to explain to Ruth about this law in the Mosaic law. It's called the law of the kinsman or the law of the close relative. So how did this redeemer kinsman law work? It says, Ruth, I'll tell you what, Ruth in God's law, he provided a way for widows to be provided for. He provided a way for widows who were poor and destitute who needed assistance to be provided for by their own family. And as a family redeemer, this is what Boaz could do. Boaz could take Ruth to be his wife in order to provide a son so that they could carry on the name of Ruth's dead husband, Malan. So that's the law of the kinsman, right? Uh, if, if Ruth's husband dies and Ruth's husband had property there in Bethlehem, uh, that property wouldn't go to the family because there was no son to carry on the inheritance. So what the, God's law provided for was another close relative could marry Ruth, the widow, and have children with her, have a son, and that son would go on to inherit the land, 
right? And so this was the law that was at work, and Naomi knew the Jewish law. She knew what the possibilities were. So she's, she's trying to get Ruth set up so that this whole situation can happen and come together, right? Naomi, uh, Naomi was watching uh, Boaz. She was pretty sure that Boaz was interested in Ruth. And I think that Naomi also knew Boaz from before, from before the time she left Jerusalem for Moab. She knew Moses' character. She knew that Boaz was very interested in Ruth, but he was cautious by, by nature. He wouldn't be making the first move anytime soon. So here we go. Now we got to get things going. So when we talk about the law of the Redeemer, when we talk about the law of the kinsman redeemer, the close family redeemer, it had three requirements in order for someone to be the family redeemer. You know, it couldn't, you couldn't just say, hey, I want to be the family redeemer. You had to qualify for it. And the, ver the first qualification for being a family redeemer in this situation, what Boaz had to qualify for, was the family redeemer, he must be related by blood to those he redeems. So if you have your bulletin, that's your first fill in the blank. The family redeemer, he must be related by blood to those he redeems. And Boaz was, whether he was a nephew, a cousin, uh, uh, an in-law, something like that. He had to be related to Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband. The second qualification of a family redeemer is he must have the necessary resources to buy, to pay the price of redemption. So it's one thing to say, hey, I'm a close blood relative. I want to be the family redeemer. They would say, great, awesome. Step one is complete. Now, do you have any money to buy the, to buy the property? Uh, sorry, I got two cents and two shekels in my pocket. Well, that ain't going to do it. So you have to have the necessary resources in order to pay the price of redemption. And then the third qualification is just simply the willingness. He must be willing to redeem. So you have to be a close blood relative. You have to have the resources to provide the price of redemption. And you have to be willing to redeem. Think about those three qualifications for a family redeemer. Not just for Boaz, but for somebody we know better than Boaz, and that's Jesus Christ himself. When you talk about a family redeemer, he's the ultimate family redeemer, and Jesus fits every one of those qualifications for us. So Naomi continues, says, okay, this is the law of the family redeemer. This is how it works. Now we have to get Boaz to agree that he will indeed be your family redeemer. So she's setting up a, a meeting uh, at night uh, during the time of the harvest. So she goes back to the next verses, which is in verse three and four. She says, okay, Ruth, tonight, he, tonight, Boaz, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Okay. Is that just not a great strategy for women in general? When you want to persuade a man to do something, you know the right strategy to do. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes. Your chances of getting a yes are way better. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down and go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Part of this strategy is Naomi says, Ruth, you need to have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with Boaz. But 
you know our society and, and people start talking and anytime a man who's not married and a woman who's not married, anytime they're talking to each other, somebody's going to say, oh, ooh, there's a scandal brewing, right? Uh, th this is not lawful. This is not right morally that these two would be talking to each other. So Naomi says it has to be at night. It has to be when he's alone and it needs to be in a quiet place and you have to be able to have this private conversation with him. Nobody else is watching you. And so she's, she's saying it and it's an unusual strategy. But Ruth is on board. First of all, Ruth is on board because I think she likes the idea itself. I think she has a great respect for Boaz and his character. But second, I think Ruth is on board because Ruth trusts in her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth believes that Naomi has her best interest in mind, that Naomi wants to bless Ruth. She says, it's time to find a permanent home for you. Here's a way we can do it. And, and Ruth is probably in her head as a Moabite saying, What? Winnowing floor, coming to him at night, taking the corner of his garment and lifting it up off his, off his feet, laying there at his feet, and hopefully he'll wake up in the middle of the night and we'll have a conversation. That just seems weird, Naomi, to me. But she trusted Naomi. And so she says, I will do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night. She followed the instructions of her mother-in-law, right? So she did all that. Now, here's the thing about Boaz, because we know the story and we know how it turns out. But Boaz hasn't yet read the book of Ruth. So Boaz has no idea what's happening. And he's just having a good day of harvest. It's a good, normal harvest day. Maybe they even had a bumper crop uh, of harvest that year. And so he is down there. Uh, eating and drinking. He was in good spirits. If you go to the next verse, uh, uh, the harvest was good, but when you have this pile of harvest, all this barley harvest, uh, it has to be guarded. It has to be protected. And I guess Boaz said, I'll do it myself. And so Naomi, or excuse me, Boaz was down there uh, next to the pile of, of barley guarding the, the harvest that night. So he'd finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits. He laid down at the far end of the pile of grain and he went to sleep. Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet. Can you imagine? He's got this little garment on or he's got a little uh, a blanket or something. And she, she goes over there and she's like, and she uncovers it, and then she lays down at his feet. And, of course, he's still in good spirits. If that means drinking wine, I don't know. But he was, he was pretty fast asleep at the time. He didn't wake up right away. So she uncovers his feet. She lays down, and now, you know, some hours pass after dark. And Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, and he was surprised, <laughs> probably shocked, to see a woman at his feet. So there it is. And so Boaz says, who are you? He asked, who are you? He couldn't even see her in the dark. I can't, it's hard to imagine it being so dark that you can't even see the person who you're talking to. But when he heard her voice, I bet you he knew who it was. Who are you? He asked. And she said, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. Wow. Ruth here, she is the one who's taking the initiative. She's doing exactly what Naomi advised her to do. Ruth is, if you didn't know culturally what's going on here, Ruth is proposing marriage. When she said, spread the corner of your covering over me, that means, Boaz, bring me under your protection. Boaz, cover me in the covenant bond of marriage. Boaz, bring me into your home. Make me your wife. 
It's pretty clear. It, culturally, it was clear. Boaz knew exactly what she meant. Ruth may not, not have known how the whole thing worked out in the Mosaic Law, but she knew enough to know that if Boaz was willing to step up and be become the family redeemer, that would allow him and Ruth to marry. And so I imagine the short pause. She says, uh, spread the cover of your uh, corner of your covering over me for you're my family redeemer. There had to have been somewhat of a pause right there. And you imagine Ruth in her heart saying, this is it. I just laid my heart out on the line, right? I'm putting my heart out there. I'm, I'm putting my future into your hands, Boaz. It's the ball's in your court. What are you going to do with it? So uh, what will he say? You know, she's thinking in her own right, will he accept my proposal or did I just really embarrass myself, right? Well, fortunately, I, I hope Boaz didn't, get, didn't make her squirm and make her wait because it seems like his answer is pretty immediately. I think Boaz is definitely on board with the idea. Thank you for the kickstart, Ruth. So, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man. Uh, do you see where we're getting this idea that Boaz is probably middle-aged? You have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now he says, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. And get this, I will do what is necessary. And look what he says about Ruth. For everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. It's very interesting uh, what Boaz didn't say. When he was considering whether he was going to try to marry, be the family redeemer and marry Ruth, uh, some of the things that he didn't say. He didn't say, hey, um, everyone knows in town that you're a beautiful woman. That's not what Boaz said. Uh, he said, Ruth, you didn't try to find a husband who was younger, maybe more closer to your age. Uh, Ruth, apparently you looked for a man whose godly character matched your own. And Ruth saw that godly character reflected in this man, Boaz. In case you weren't aware of it, by the way, in case you weren't aware of it, godly character is pretty attractive. Godly character is pretty attractive. And let me, let me show you some comparisons here. Let's go to the next slide about the difference between godly character and some other character. Godly characters on the left... Not godly characters on the right. So when somebody is hopeful and cheerful versus negative and pessimistic, that's godly character. When somebody is willing to work, you remember Ruth, when she found out that law, oh, there's a way that God takes care of the poor people in society. He allows us to follow the harvesters. I can do that. She didn't just say, God, we're starving here. We're back in Bethlehem. We need your help. And then just wait there and wait for somebody to come by and, and give them a care package. No, she was willing to work. She prayed and then she was willing to work versus being all pouty and whiny. Ruth was caring for her own family, caring for Naomi, and everybody saw that. In fact, you're going to see in next chapter, this blessing is like, Naomi, you may not even realize this, but your daughter-in-law, Ruth, she's better than seven sons. That's a pretty high compliment to pay to a woman who's your daughter-in-law. So Ruth was caring for her family versus ignoring the family in need. Ruth was humble and respectful versus being arrogant versus like thinking the whole world owed her a living. Ruth was patient and trusting. Naomi, this is the strategy. You think this is going to work? This seems very unusual to me. 
but I trust you, so I'm going to do it. And she was patient and trusting versus impatient and demanding. You know, that is a really attractive character. Godly character is really attractive. It's so much more attractive than surface beauty. Look what this proverb says. It's kind of funny. I like it. Uh, in Proverbs 11, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion, right? I think Boaz knew that. Boaz was old enough to know now that just because uh, a woman was attractive uh, physically doesn't mean she has good character. And over the long haul, a woman's good character is going to be a much better companion than just somebody who's beautiful on the outside. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. You know, I wonder if the, if the author of Proverbs was thinking of a woman like Ruth when he wrote that Proverbs 31. Boaz is now, he's ready to make the arrangements needed in order to marry Ruth. But unfortunately, like in every great love story, you know, there's this whole pattern, boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl likes boy. Uh, there, it looks like everything is moving along smoothly, and there's always. And, and I, I watch so many Hallmark movies with this woman. I know the pattern. There's always. I watch half of what you watch. Yeah, I watch the first half before I fall asleep, or I go to my phone. Uh, anyway, uh, let's don't get into reality here. Let's just just keep keep that on the side. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, in the story, boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, everything's moving along and then something happens. There's always a glitch in the story. The old boyfriend comes back, the old fiance comes back, something happens. Uh, the, the, the girl misinterprets something that the boy said or did and now she thinks he's the enemy. Just like in White Christmas, you know, Rosemary Clooney thought that the whole reason Bing Crosby was bringing the show up to Vermont was so he could make a bunch of money and get a bunch of publicity on the Ed Harrison show and all this stuff completely misunderstood the situation but there's the glitch in the story and you have to resolve the problem and the conflict in the story and the conflict is coming up right here because there is an obstacle to overcome because unfortunately even though Boaz can be a family redeemer Boaz is not the closest relative so he says to her and this is probably hard for him to say because I imagine him just to say hey let's just bypass this guy um, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Ouch. And so Ruth is probably going, well, who's this guy? And is he anything like you? And ah, what happened to me and you here, you know? So verse 13, stay here, to, stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. And if he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. So Boaz, you know what I like about his character? You wonder if he's got godly character. Boaz wants to honor God above all else. I think he really likes Ruth. I think he maybe even loves her. I think he wants to marry her bad. But Boaz says, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this my way. We've got to do it right. We've got to do it in an upstanding way. And we have to do it in a way that honors God because I'm not going to dishonor this woman. And I'm not going to do it on the, you know, on the sly and hinky. No, it's got to be done in the right way. 
And that's something that's a testimony to Boaz's character. He wanted to honor God at every stage in their relationship. He didn't want to steal her from this other closer relative. He wanted to do it in a right way. And so he just says, we, I'll try to resolve it in the morning. I'll try to get him not to redeem the property. But if he redeems it, there's not much I can do about it. We're going to do it God's way. And Ruth is just like, okay. So he says to her, Boaz says to her, Ruth laid at Boaz's feet until the morning. She got up right before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know. This is in verse 14. No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. So they're going to be above reproach. They're not going to have any scandal in the community because people talk in a small town. And it's too bad because really Ruth and Boaz, they hadn't done anything wrong. But a man and a woman alone together on a threshing floor at night probably would lead some to conclude uh, some wrong things, that there's some wrong was had been done that night. So they, Boaz says, we're going to avoid that scenario, Ruth, okay? So then before Ruth leaves, before she goes back home, Boaz says, hold it, hold it. Uh, what do you have there? So uh, he says, bring your cloak and spread it out. And so Ruth brought her cloak and she spread it out on the floor and Boaz takes and he, and he gets out six measures, six scoops. I like the New Living Translation, scoops instead of measures. And he says, uh, he says, and he got six scoops of barley and he put it into the cloak and he placed it on her back. So they, they put six pretty large scoops. Um, my uh, commentary said it weighed probably somewhere between 40 and 50 pounds. 40 and 50 pounds of barley, dried barley. So then they take the, the cloak and they wrap it up and then sling it over uh, Ruth's back and she's got just enough, you know, a lot of weight there, but just enough to be able to walk home. And it was a gift of barley. Now, it's very interesting. He measures six scoops of barley. This is what one of the commentators said. You know, the Hebrew numbers mean things. Hebrew seven it means the number of completion. So the Hebrew number six means it's almost complete, but it's not quite complete right? So it's incomplete. So by, by giving her six scoops of barley, not seven, not eight, not five, uh, Naomi interpreted this when, when Ruth came home and says, hey, she get, uh, uh, he says he's going to try to be our family redeemer. He's going to talk about it in the morning with, with this other closer relative. And look, he gave us the six scoops of barley because he said, don't go home to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And now empty Naomi is getting filled up again with hope. And she says, you know what? Six scoops. I know exactly what he's saying. He's saying that this, this, this idea, this marriage uh, proposal, this idea of becoming the family redeemer and being able to marry Ruth, this is still incomplete, but I'm going to be working on it and I'm not going to give up until this, this deal is resolved. And Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man, and she knew Boaz, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. And so guess what happens the next day? Come next week and you'll find out. Uh, don't worry, Ruth. Boaz is going to follow through on his promise. He has a great reputation. When he says something, he's going to do it. When he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And he's not going to rest until the family redeemer matter is settled. You know, do you know anybody like that? When they say they're going to do something, they do it. When they, when they make a promise, they keep their promise. Sometimes it's not even easy to keep the promise. Sometimes it costs them to keep the promise, but they keep it because they are a man or a woman of their word. 
It used to be in some places in this country, you could shake hands with somebody. You could make a deal with somebody and shake hands. And, and that, the character, the integrity of the, some, of the person making the deal was, was so high that that was a firmer contract than any written contract that you could write up. That's because of the integrity of the person. Boaz was a man like that. Boaz was a man who not only made a promise, he was going to keep a promise. Now, how about you and I today? How are you? How do you rate yourself on the trustworthy scale? And here's an even tougher question. How do other people rate you on the trustworthy scale? When you make a promise, do you do your very best to keep it? Because building a reputation, building a good reputation of integrity is something that you do not, one, not once, not twice. It's something you do over and over again over the long haul. Integrity is built one promise, one commitment, one kept agreement at a time. God knows what he's doing here in this, in this family situation. He knows what he's doing with Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. Uh, it's coming together supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural. God is behind the scenes arranging things, but it is coming together in a natural way. He's leading Ruth and Boaz through the stage of courtship. Nobody needs to force it. Boaz and Naomi are doing this right, and they're going to do it in a way that honors God and respects each other. And so I want to close with three points. Three points as we're looking at this story overall. Not just, not just chapter three and the whole marriage proposal thing at the, at, on the threshing floor, this unusual marriage uh, proposal, but it, looking over the whole story of Ruth. Number one, even in the worst of times, even in the worst of times, God still has his chosen instruments. This was a bad time in Israel's history. The, the, when you read the book of Judges, because this is when it happened, during the time of Judges, after Joshua and the 12 tribes conquered the promised land all the way until the time of King Saul and King David and King Solomon. There's a 400-year gap. And during that 400-year gap, the way the Judges author described that time, we think that maybe Samuel was the author of the book of Judges, that Samuel described the time and it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. It's kind of a sad commentary. Everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. And Boaz was not going to be one of those persons, and neither was Ruth. They were going to do what was right, not in their own eyes, but they were going to do what was right in God's eyes. So if you are walking with God and you are in the midst of hard times, you are one of the rare ones. You are the one of, of the people like Ruth and like Boaz. And I just want to encourage you, keep doing it. Keep walking that path of integrity because God will see it and God will reward you for that integrity. Even in the worst of times, God has his chosen instruments. Number two, in spite of our natural and normal desires, we still, or God still, has to be glorified. You can say to God, and, and this is what single people could say to God. You can say to God, you can place yourself before God. You ask God if this is your plan. God, is this your plan that you want me to maybe marry this person or you want me to be together with this person? Is this your plan for me? And you have to allow God to have the answer. And you have to be able to say to God, if you have integrity, you have to be able to say, Lord, I want you to be glorified in this relationship, in this courtship time, in this marriage, if it leads to marriage, and if, it, if this isn't a relationship that's going to glorify or honor you, God, then I don't want anything to do with it. 
And if it's your plan, God, that you want me to bypass this relationship because it's not honoring to you, if you still want me to remain single, then God, give me the strength to be obedient to you because I want to glorify you. I don't have to be married, but Lord, I don't have to be single forever either. So you, you leave it in God's hands. You still want God to be glorified no matter what your desires are. And then number three, and this is what I see in Boaz especially, if you make a promise, be a promise keeper. Not a promise maker. There's way too many promise makers out there. You keep your word because when you keep your word, it will build trust, it will build respect, and people can learn to trust you in a relationship. Boaz could redeem Ruth. And now we go back to this whole thing about the family redeemer. Boaz, he was able to be the family redeemer for Ruth and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. You remember why? You remember those three qualifications that he had, right? Boaz, he was related by blood to those he wanted to redeem. Number two, Boaz, he had the necessary resources to pay the price of redemption. And then number three, Boaz was willing Boaz was willing to redeem. You know, here's the good news for us because we're not talking about 3,200 years ago in Israel and in Bethlehem during the time of the barley season. We're talking about right here, right now where we live in our lives. And here's the good news. God still has a redeemer in place for us, friends. He has a family redeemer who can rescue us from the devastation of our own sin. God's Redeemer for us came to earth in a little town of Bethlehem, 1,200 years after Ruth and Naomi. His name is Jesus. He came, uh, if Boaz was this type or a symbol of a family Redeemer, then Jesus Christ came to make it all a reality. And not just for one family, but for every single person who calls on the name of the Lord. Jesus wants to be the family Redeemer. Jesus uh, is a blood relative of ours because Jesus became a human being. Jesus paid the price of our redemption. The Bible says that God did not redeem us with silver and gold because silver and gold wouldn't have been enough to redeem us, to buy us out of slavery to sin. God bought us out of slavery to sin through the death, through the voluntary willing sacrifice of Jesus himself who came to earth, became a human being, was a blood relative of the entire human race, and now he's paying the price of redemption, and he's done it when he died on the cross, and he proved who he was by being raised from the dead, and he is willing to be your family redeemer. Now the question is, what are you going to say to him? If he's willing to be your family redeemer, will you allow Jesus to be your family redeemer? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and sing a closing song for us. I want to read to you a passage from Ephesians. It's talking about Jesus. And he says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, He, Jesus, is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son, and our sins are forgiven. Jesus is willing to be your redeemer today. Are you willing to let him? If, if you've never asked Jesus to be your redeemer, to be your savior, if you've never invited him into your heart, into your life, if you've never declared your allegiance that you're going to follow him for the rest of your life, this morning I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you for the story of Ruth, where there, there's a woman who has integrity and she walks with you. She came to know you through her mother-in-law. 
and now she wants to do the right thing and this man comes along and, and this man Boaz is able to be a redeemer and he's willing and he's, he has the resources to pay the price to redeem her and to redeem Naomi and to end up being able to marry her. Lord, thank you for this wonderful story. Thank you for the parallels that this story has for our lives today. Because Lord Jesus, we believe that you were willing that none of us should perish, but that we should all come to a repentance, that we'd all turn away from our sins and come to a saving relationship with you. So Lord Jesus, today, we turn to you and we say, we choose to follow you. We ask you to be our family redeemer. We ask you to come into our lives through your Holy Spirit and to transform us from the inside out and to teach us and to show us how to walk in your ways and live the kind of life that you want us to live. So Lord, we turn away from our own life, our old life. We turn to this new life that we have in relationship with you. And God, we pray that you show us the next steps that you want us to, to live and to walk. Lord, make us uh, new creatures in your son Jesus. And as new creatures transformed by your love, God, help us to be difference makers in this world today for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.